episode of the Bureau 42 X-Files Retrospective Podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we discuss X-Files, Season 1, Episode 21, Tombs. Original air date, April 22nd, 1994. IMDb user score, 8.2. This episode takes place in Maryland, and it's got a number of very significant points in terms of the history of the series. As we've mentioned a few times before, the format of the show is basically police procedural with a supernatural or fantasy element. The teaser sets up the monster that they're going to be fighting this week, and the rest is a police procedural tracking it down, which may or may not come to a nicely wrapped up conclusion. But as they mentioned before, one of the advantages to working with aliens and mutants is that you rarely get to prosecute. And this episode plays on that. It brings back Eugene Victor Toombs, who was played by Doug Hutchison, starting in episode three, Squeeze. And the basic premise of the episode is that when they were bringing him in and arresting him, the only crime that they could actually pin on him was the attack on Scully. And he was remanded to psychiatric care and now is being evaluated for release. Mulder speaks at his release hearing, basically saying he needs to be locked up because he'll kill again, goes on the stand and reveals his entire theory, going back to the murders from 1903, all of this. And it's at the point where the defense basically says, no further questions once they hear Mulder's attitude. There's no question he's going to be laughed out of court. So Toombs gets released again. And then the majority of the episode is Mulder watching Toombs like a hawk and trying to do it while Scully's under pressure to make the X-Files more conventional. So it's written by Morgan and Wong, who wrote the original episode Squeeze. And they were a little frustrated with the difficulties of shooting the first one. And now that they had David Nutter on board as a director and they'd seen how effectively Doug Hutchinson could play this role, they wanted to put that team together and bring Tombs back. We get a number of firsts in Tombs. This is the first time of one of the very rare times where we see a recurring villain who is not a part of the grander conspiracy. This is also the first time we meet assistant director Walter Skinner, played by Mitch Pileggi. Now, Mitch Pileggi had come in to read for several other parts as an FBI agent, and apparently at the time, his head had been shaved completely bald, so he didn't have the hair on the sides of his head, as we're used to seeing. He had gone just completely bald, and the production staff felt that that look was a little too extreme for the parts he was reading for. So when he came in for this one, he came in with a bit of an attitude because he'd read for a number of parts and hadn't been cast, and apparently that's exactly what they were looking for, so he did get cast as Walter Skinner. Now in this first appearance, Walter Skinner is more of an adversary than anything else. He's working directly with the cigarette smoking man to put these guys on a leash and get them back under control. The cigarette smoking man is in the office the whole time Scully is meeting with Skinner, and towards the end of the episode we actually get the cigarette smoking man's first spoken line of dialogue. When Skinner asks him, have you read the report, do you believe it? And his response is, of course I do. So it's his third appearance, and that's the only line he's had so far. In the course of the investigation, Mulder is doing an unauthorized stakeout and trading off with Scully. During this stakeout, we see Mulder sleeping on his couch. So it's the first time that we've seen Mulder sleeping at home, and it is on the couch. Apparently this was originally done specifically to maintain a budget. So if we have Mulder sleeping on the couch, falling asleep watching a movie, specifically the Fly, and this is the original 1950s version of The Fly, then they didn't have to build him a bedroom set. It actually turned out to be a bit of a running joke. It's going to be a long time before we see Mulder's bedroom. It's also nice to see some of the change and some of the effects that are going on around the world. This isn't a static world. The last time we saw Tombs, he lived at 66 Exeter Street, which was a pretty rundown tenement. In the 
intervening months, that has actually been leveled and replaced by a mall, which I thought was a nice touch. It is pretty realistic and shows that, yes, this is as close to the real world as they can get and still tell the stories that they want to tell. Or something like that does get bulldozed and built into something new. One of the other firsts that we have here is Chris Carter's first pushback against what were known as the shippers. When the series first came on, there was a lot of people thinking, attract a male lead, attract a female lead, how long until these guys get together? Which is something that Chris Carter fought against very hard in those first few seasons. He really wanted to show a relationship that was respectful and healthy between a man and a woman that didn't end up as a sexual relationship, because those happen quite often, and they are not well represented on TV. So that's part of his goal. There's actually a great scene during the stakeouts where Scully comes to relieve Mulder, brings in the sandwich he asked for, explains that she would only put herself out on the line for him. Mulder responds, there's a nice tea in that bag, this could be love. The response to that is, must be fate, Mulder root beer, which was, it's the Morgan and Wong script, but that's always been credited to Chris Carter as having that in there. So whether he told Morgan and Wong to write it or whether he just wrote in that part of the scene himself, I'm not sure. But it is very clear at this point that there's no hint of a sexual relationship between the two of them. There's no romance. This is just respectful colleagues who happen to be of different genders. Going into the guest cast, we do have a few recognizable actors here. One of them is Paul Ben-Victor as Dr. Monty. If you look him up on the Internet Movie Database, this is another case where they're bringing in now established actors and people who've got credits running several respectable shows before The X-Files. He was in The Commish, Cool World, Adam-12, The Rookie, Doogie Howser, MD, Hunter, a lot of these shows before this. He was in Tombstone, L.A. Law, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Since then, he's been on NYPD Blue, The Practice. He was Robert Albert Hobbs on The Invisible Man, the 45-episode TV series from the year 2000. He had a guest shot on CSI, guest shot on The Shield, was in eight episodes of John from Cincinnati. He was in 17 episodes of The Wire, seven episodes of Entourage, seven episodes of Everybody Hates Chris, guest spot on The Mentalist, guest spot on CSI New York. To date, 58 episodes of In Plain Sight. He even played the role of Joe Casado, the rapist, at the beginning of Daredevil, in that movie that should have been a whole lot better, but still pretty recognizable character actor. The other recognizable guest star is Glynis Davies. So in this one, she played defense counsel Nelson. She was Toombs' lawyer in the early hearing, discussing whether or not he's going to be released. And... Again, we're looking at someone who's got credits going back to 1978, a lot of respectable roles before this, including Alfred Hitchcock Presents, both of the most recent versions of The Twilight Zone. This is actually the first of three appearances that she's going to have as three different characters on the X-Files. She's in Dead Man's Gun, The Net, Soul Survivor, Smallville, John Doe, Stargate SG-1 as two different characters. The L-Word, she shows up later in Stargate Universe as Marianne Wallace, as well as Bang Bang, You're Dead, Scary Movie. So again, they're starting to get enough notice through the industry that they can get quality actors, even though they're not yet at the point where they can pull in the name actors, the ones who just, you put their name on it and people will watch. That day will come, but they're not there yet. And it is nice to see the growth in the way they fill in the guest cast in these series. So right, Tombs is an effective thriller. There's a very clear hero and villain right from the start by bringing in the recurring villain. The only element that does bug me, part of the weight that they were trying to establish that Tombs needs to stay in prison, is by finding documented evidence that ties him to previous cases. In doing so, they finally track down one of the bodies that was missing for the 1933 murders, and they find it encased in concrete. The idea was that Tombs knew there was evidence that could link him to that particular killing, so he hid the body. What 
what bothers me is that, as I mentioned, he was buried in concrete. And when they find him, pull him out, and start chipping away at that concrete, all that's left is a skeleton. To me, that makes perfect sense for a body that was left exposed to the air. But he was surrounded in concrete. There's concrete within the rib cage. There's concrete around the bones. He didn't bury a body wearing his ring. He buried a skeleton that was still wearing the ring. There should be soft tissue, possibly desiccated, surrounded by vacuum, but it should be there. I guess not necessarily vacuum. I don't want the gases that are released, but there should be a desiccated body within that air pocket that they found the marks on later, and it should not have been a skeleton at this stage, because the only way it can set up with the way that that prop and that effect came out is Tombs buried a skeleton, which begs the question, why does he still have rings on his finger, and why did they find pennies near where his pocket would be? That part doesn't make sense. That prop should have been designed a little bit differently. But generally speaking, it is a very strong episode. Again, due largely to the fact that Doug Hutchison has this character nailed. Again, you've got David Nutter's strong direction with excellent use of lighting and restricted lighting, so we're only lighting parts of faces. It's got that X-Files look and feel right from the start, and it's starting to lay the groundwork and foreshadow things that we're going to be seeing in later episodes of the season. Join us again in two weeks' time as we discuss Born Again. Intro and outro music is by Lastwell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content, copyright 2014, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments and feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes.